So, uh, hello everybody and welcome once again to another episode of the uh, Heart Shape Decisions podcast. And I'm Graham Frost and I'm delighted today to actually have somebody that uh, I really admire and uh, look up to uh, on the podcast. Most of the people that have been on this podcast have been, you know, the criteria has, has been people that are interesting, but not necessarily famous. And... Uh, Julie is interesting and probably a little bit famous as well because you might actually have heard of her and uh, I certainly, so I've got to know Julie probably about a couple of years ago through the Professional Speaking Association and uh, the first time I think we really spoke, Julie, was when I did a talk at the PSA in London and it was the first time I'd actually introduced my idea of heart-shaped decisions and that was probably I think it was in September 2019. It seems like longer ago than that because of everything we've been through since. But um, you came up to me after that and said, you've got something there, you need to do something with it. And uh, that really encouraged me to do something with it. And I've been doing something, trying to do something with it ever since. And um, I've, all, you know, so I've also recently read your book. I think I was probably one of the first people to read it. And um, I, I actually got the online version before it came out in paperback. So, um, so you are quite an inspiration to me, I have to say. So uh, anyway, Julie, we'd <laughs> like to talk a little bit about yourself and, um, you know, what you do and also some of the heart-shaped decisions that you've made both personally and professionally, please. Absolutely. I'm really excited to be here, Graham, because it's been great to see how you took that idea and you've just run with it you know it's mm. been great watching you do that so my name's Julie Crefield and I'm a community engagement strategist and business mentor and what that really means is I help people take their ideas just like yours mm. and take it out into the world you know most of my clients are people that have real mission-led purpose-led heart-led businesses yeah. mm. and so um, I've worked in community engagement my whole life. I started my career working with young people in the arts. I was a drama practitioner and a dance practitioner. And then I moved more into volunteer management. So I worked on the London 2012 Games, helping to yeah. get the 70,000 games makers. And I worked with all sorts of uh, individuals. Um, often they would be described as hard to reach. So they would be groups that normally wouldn't participate in yeah. mainstream things. Um, I've done many interested and exciting things over the years. I, I guess I'm most famous, and that word is interesting, I'm <laughs> most famous for, um, I run a company called Two Fat to Run, yeah. which is a plus size fitness business that is a global um, movement for women who want to live, you know, healthier, happier, more exciting lives, um, in the bodies that they're already in. So it's less about weight loss and more about kind of what can we gain through life through being a bit more adventurous. Um, I run that business and then I run another business that is all about tribe building and it's, it's a business coaching business. And yeah. in 2020, that is the business that has absolutely thrived um, yeah. during these, what are quite difficult times. They're challenging times for all of us. We're all having to pivot and and really focus on what's important and um I think we're really having to listen that's what yeah. I have realized in the last year and you you mentioned my book I have a new book out called uh, leading from the back uh, which is all about how to build a profitable online business without 
selling out, burning out or behaving like a dick. And it's really interesting because when I say that, people think it's me bashing men. And it isn't at all because there are a lot of women that behave like dicks online yeah. as well. So it's less about the gendered, you know, that word is an interesting word, but it's less, you know, it's less about that. It's more about being kind. I'm really interested in what kind leadership looks like. And that mm. doesn't mean soft. It doesn't mean, um, you know, you let people walk all over you. No. You know, I'm quite, I'm quite rough around the edges. I swear a lot and I get people <laughs> to take action, but I'm also an empath. I also care yeah. deeply about people doing well in life. And so mm. from my perspective, heart, you know, heart decisions are all about listening. They're about tuning into what you desire and doing things that not only benefit you, but also benefit the world. So yeah. I, I often talk about something called the triangle of need, which is like, what are my needs? What are their needs? And that's often your clients. And what's the world need right now? Yeah, yeah. And when you can meet all of those, some yeah. magic happens, you yes. know, because it's that ripple effect. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so tell, yeah, tell us about, you know, because I, I mean, I've read your book recently and I'm sure... You know, I, I would recommend anybody to actually go out and buy it because even if you're not in business, it's actually a really good read. And it's not just for women either, because I think there's a popular misconception of you that you actually just your clients are all women. And I know that that's not the case, although predominantly women. But um, I would like to encourage more men to come and actually have a look at what you're doing, because I know there's a few of us that sort of um, float around. You know, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing your nail your niche uh, challenge next week. And it's about probably the second or third challenge of yours that I've been on. And I actually know what my niche is already, but I know that I'm going to learn something next week and, and make some, yeah, make some good new connections. So that's you know uh, what? I mean, I think you are my ideal client, right? And what I mean by that is I have three principles in all of the work that I do, whether I'm working with women in the plus size fitness industry or whether I'm working with businesses. And that is, the free Vs. You've heard me say this many times before, to be visible, to be fearlessly visible in all of the stuff that we do, yeah. to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, you know, and you've just said it there, you know, I've always got something to learn. And mm. the final one is to be of value. And you, you know, in all of the communities you join, you feed back and you engage and you cheerlead for other people. And, you know, I am going to make a bit of a sweeping statement here is that not all men work in that way in community. You know, yeah. and so I often describe uh, I work predominantly with women, but with some heart led men. Um, yes. I will, you know, I will work with anybody, but I also know that I rub some men up the wrong way because we go deep into mindset. We go deep into feelings yeah. and we talk about the wider things often. And these are observations and some generalizations. So I know this and I'm happy to be challenged on it. But sometimes what I get from men when I talk about my strategies is, oh, that wouldn't work for me. So before they would even explore it, they yeah. pop barriers up because it's yeah. either out of their comfort zone or it's not something they've done before or they prefer to do things a different way. And so, yeah. you know, I'm I'm not against working with men. You know, the men that I work with, I love working with. Um, but I do think it's a certain type of man that respects the type of work that I do. Yeah, so one of the things that kind of, uh, I suppose, we have in common is that, you know, we come, I mean, we both come from quite normal, you know, ordinary working class backgrounds. And I was really interested to read about that in your book, you know, growing up in a large family in the East End of London. Tell us a bit about what that was like, Julie. 
Yeah. I remember when I was young, there were two things I wanted. I wanted to be listened to because I yeah. never felt like I was heard and I didn't want to be poor. Those yeah. were the two things because, you know, large working class family, there wasn't enough time to go around. So I never felt like I could really have a deep conversation with my mum. Yeah. And there was never enough to go around like food and money, money and clothes. You know, it was mm -hmm. it was a tough time. My mum had six kids. My dad left when I was about 11 and she had to work really hard to keep shoes on our feet and food in the cupboard. And and that has a knock on effect to your beliefs about the world you know yeah. and and it I think it shaped me in a way that made me want to graft and make, made me want to work hard so I'm you know I no one would ever describe me as work shy you know I, I love to work um yeah. but I think for me I know it's not unique to people that grow up in a working class background but I know that many people have money mindset issues so yeah. often you'll hear people say oh I want my business to be successful not too successful don't want to make that much money you know I just want to be comfortable well that's and me that's... <laughs> that, that is totally me <laughs> but it's interesting because what I connect money to now is every transaction that comes through my bank is connected to the potential for change so every time somebody invests in one of my programs, I know if they put the work in and I put the work in, magic happens. Yeah. So the more wealth I create, the more impact I create. They're really interconnected. So I have huge ambition to make huge amounts of change on this planet. Mm. And I know that with that comes income and yeah. wealth and so I'm not driven by designer handbags or flash cars or any of those kind of things right. but I would love to have an excess of money to invest in the things that I'm passionate about so one of the things that's part of my mission is I'd love to invest in some kind of entrepreneurial school for kind of kids that are not doing very well at school you know kids wow. are having a hard time with the yeah. academics uh, labeled as the naughty kid which is what I was you know yeah. I, everyone told me I wouldn't amount to anything and that I was disruptive and rude and um, not academic that's what I was told don't bother going to college because you won't do very well you know yeah. and I ended up getting a first class degree and I've got a master's degree as well so wow. despite yeah. being working class and very like you know normal in terms of the way I communicate I'm also very smart and I think if I hadn't have had the tenacity and the support from a couple of my teachers my drama teacher really encouraged me and my English teacher as well mm -hmm. um, if it wasn't for certain individuals along my life um, I probably would have amounted to not very much because that was the narrative that I was being given all of the time is that you know because of your upbringing because your mum's a single parent because you live in the east end you know, don't don't aspire to too much because yeah. you'll just be disappointed. And so my mission is very much about helping people who have doubts about their brilliance because I meet so many incredible people, but because they've got fears of selling or because they've got visibility fears, they don't reach their full potential or they think too small. You know, they'll have a project and they'll think, oh, I'm just going to work in my geographical area because that yeah. feels comfortable when actually they could take their stuff out into a global platform and have real mm. change. So, yes, I want to change my life and the life of my daughter. Um, but I also have bigger goals that are about, you know, my bigger mission. Yes, fantastic. I mean, so tell us, I mean, I know... I'm actually quite envious of you having worked on the 2012 Olympics because um, 
I can remember in the build-up to the Olympics, and I was a little bit kind of cynical about it. I thought, oh, you know, we're spending all this money, and, um, you know, what's it going to bring to the country? And I can remember clearly sitting and watching the opening ceremony on TV at home in Peterborough, where I used to live there, and um, thinking, wow, this is actually something fantastic. And then I really heartily wish that I'd actually got involved as a games maker or something, got involved yeah. in some way. And, and, so, and then I went down to London for the victory parade at the end of it all and stood there and clapped all the people going past for about two hours. You know, it was fantastic. Um, what was it like to be involved in the 2012 Olympics? Oh, it was incredible. I mean, I live in Stratford in East London. Mm. The Olympic Park is my local park. I can walk to the stadium in about seven minutes. So yeah. it's on my doorstep. And when the Games was originally proposed, which was around 2004, so it was a long, long time before yeah. the Games came, part of my job as a community engagement strategist was to go into communities and ask what they thought. You know, what do you think about the fact that the Games is coming? Would you get involved? What are your concerns? And there was a lot of scepticism. There was a lot of, well, there's nothing in it for me. It yeah. will all be for the young people. Everyone will come from outside. You know, it would just be crowded. So there was a lot of scepticism and actually I could see the potential, you know, to be able to showcase East London, to be able to get investment and to bring money in and all of those kind of things, but also to upskill local people. And that was one of the things I'm really proud of is that I was very um, instrumental in the policy for the Games Maker program. And one of the things I was really passionate about was making sure that the Games Maker um, workforce wasn't just old white men that enjoyed sport yeah because it, they, it was oversubscribed you know there was probably 10 applications for every one place for the games wow. maker program and the majority of those were sports fanatics and i don't have anything against sports fanatics no. but there were lots of other people that could really benefit from that really once in a lifetime opportunity so i wanted yeah. to make sure that a large percentage of Londoners got the opportunity to work on their the games yeah, that were in yeah. their town. And it was a real mixture of ages, ethnicities, religions. Yeah. Um, I wanted to make sure that disabled people had access to, to get involved as well. Mm. So it's one of the, my proudest things that I was able to advocate for that. And I can remember during games time, I actually signed up as a games maker myself. So I took a break from my job wow. and I just went in the pool with everybody else and I got allocated um, a really good job. I was really lucky to get allocated this job. I was in the anti-doping team. Okay. So my job was to walk around the athlete's village and locate the specific athlete that needed to be dope tested. Okay. And it was like being a spy because you had their details, but you wasn't able to disclose it to anybody else other than the athlete. And you so you had glasses on. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had like a headset, you know, right, and, yeah. and, and a clipboard. And, mm. and sometimes it's really funny. Sometimes the athletes would be evasive because okay. they would see us with the clipboards and think, oh God, I'm going to get dope tested. Right. And it wasn't because they were dope cheats. It's just because it was disruptive to their day. You know, yeah, they yeah, were, yeah. was just on their way to the lunch hall or they were just off to do a training session. And all of a sudden we would nab them and take them to the medical center to get dope tested. So it was just a bit of an inconvenience, mm. but it was so much fun. And I just had an enormous sense of pride during that time. Yeah. But interestingly, I got made redundant from the Olympics the day after the opening ceremony. So wow. it was a bit of a bittersweet thing, really, because I've worked on it for about eight years. Um, and the opening ceremony was incredible. I was lucky enough to go to the dress rehearsal 
which yeah. was about two weeks before. Mm. And um, we were all sworn to secrecy. We weren't allowed to talk to the press or anything like that. Mm. And I was able to invite some of my volunteers to that. I think I got 30 tickets um, to bring to this, you know, wow. uh, dress rehearsal. And I was able to bring, you know, the volunteers that had worked the hardest mm. on that. Um, so yeah, it was an incredible time. And it, I feel really blessed to have been part of that, you know, part of that program. Yeah, you would think, wouldn't you? You would think, wouldn't you, that they would have, um, they would have actually given you a few, a few weeks of grace before they made you redundant. I know, I know. It was literally the, the following day. I watched, I watched the the opening ceremony in a local park just around the corner from me. Sorry, I don't mind if Rose interrupts for a minute. Sorry, Graham. No, it's uh, okay. my, my daughter's trying to well, get know, my attention. I know, that's fine. <laughs> What's the matter, Rose? Uh, Rose, give me like five more minutes and then I'll come. Rose, one second, one second. Just Rose. to let everybody know, because I'm not going to edit this out. Julie's <laughs> actually got a, lo a lovely daughter called Rose, who, if you follow, if you follow Julie on uh, social media, you'll see quite a lot about Rose. Um, yeah, everybody's everybody's very fond of her. I'm not going to I'm not going <laughs> to edit this out because it actually makes you more human. Um, Thanks, I, had a, I had a friend. I had a friend of mine on on the podcast last year, who's a lady from um, Tunisia, and a, a Finnish lady from Tunisia. Long story, but she said to me, "Do you mind if the kids are in the background?" I said, "No, <laughs> you're human, you know." So yeah, well, I, I won't. I won't keep you. You've actually given us so much content already, Julie. It's fantastic. Uh, really lovely of you to spare the time. I know how busy you are. At the minute, with this new program kicking off, with all, how many how many people have you got on it? I think it's just short of uh, just short of five hundred in the group wow. at the moment. Wow! Uh, but right. it's a juggling game, you know. All of this stuff with COVID has really um, illustrated what juggling a lot of us do, are doing. Not just not just mums, but all yeah. of us. You know, we have busy lives, and um, one of the things that is good to have come out of COVID is we can show our more human side. You know, that we're, that, you know, our lives are not all perfect and easy and slick, you know, Absolutely, and yeah. one of the things that I'm really passionate about um, sharing is that you can have great success, even if you don't have all of your stuff together. So even if your life is a bit rough around the edges. Oh, yeah, I mean, my life's a bit rough around the edges at the minute. But, you know, one of the things I've done, I moved, I moved house, um, like, well, just over a year ago into a house that needed quite a lot of work doing to it. I've ended up having to do the work myself because um, I was thinking I'd pay somebody else, but uh, I've had to learn to decorate. In fact, I've just, I've just finished decorating my office where I'm sitting now. So, um, well, you can't really see it from, from you know, where you are at the minute. But, uh, yeah, I'm actually quite proud. I've been wielding a paintbrush and things like that, which <laughs> is something I've never really done before. So we've all had to learn new skills. It's like... Um, you know, talking, you know, doing video conferencing and all that kind of thing was something I thought I'd never learned to do. But here we are. Absolutely. I think we, all, we will all come out stronger. Yeah, yeah. I I'm so thought, glad you've got... I never thought I'd do a podcast. But... I'm so glad you are because, you know, it's, it's really... Your message is so important and I think it will inspire a lot of people. Well, thank you. And, and, and yourself too. So... If people would like to contact you, what's the best way? I know you're all over social media. What's the best way to contact you, Julie? Um, probably to find me on Instagram. Instagram's a really easy way, but I'm very easy to find. Julie Crefield, you can Google me. Um, yeah. You know, as you said, I'm on all of the platforms, LinkedIn, um, you know, 
Twitter, Facebook, um, and the new one, Clubhouse. So if people want to find me on Clubhouse, they can come and find me there as well. Yeah, I believe you have to use Apple products to go on there, don't you? Is that right? Yeah. So Yeah, that is right. And and not everybody has got access to it yet because it's in beta. Mm Okay, well, thank you. So I'll let, I'll let you go off and uh, attend to your young lady now. But uh, Julie, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on. I look forward to talking again soon. And um, thank you so much again for being on the Heart Shape Decisions podcast. Brilliant. And, uh, thank you very much for having me, Graham. Take care. All the best. Thank you. Bye.